This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hello, David. Good morning, Kevin. How's it going? Doing great. Yourself? I'm doing just fabulous. You look good. Oh, you too. Back at you, pal. Thanks, And then again, there's there's Evan. And then there's Evan Grant. Hi, Evan. How are you? What am I, chopped liver? Yes. Exactly. Have you ever had chopped liver? Have you ever had chopped liver? No, but I think that's what your 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 mother calls you CL, does she not? No, she's not that witty. <laughs> no, I've never had chopped liver. I've, I've avoided it my entire life, and I plan to keep my record intact. What about pate? Have you had that? Uh, just just a little, you know. No, it's you know it's good. A, the, no, the, here was the thing when I was a kid, and I know this is not the same thing. But occasionally, my mother, when she would make my lunch at school, instead of making tuna or something like that, she would slip in potted meat. Do you ever have potted meat? <laughs> yes. And that, I'd see, I'm afraid that that ruined me for pate or anything like that afterwards. It was just, just the worst. It potted was... meat and spam was a big player back in the day. Yes, that's that's correct. Yeah, spam. I, and I would have much preferred spam myself, actually, but uh, potted meat. But anyway, let me tell you something. My mother used to make chopped liver, okay, and she would cook that stuff up, and our house smelled like ass for like hours. <laughs> and I just had to vacate the premises, um, and so I've refused to eat that. I've not gone near pate or pate, as I like to call it. Um, we had, and, you know, Steve Pate worked at the morning news for a long time. <laughs> French writer. Um, and I, there's been no potted meat, no spam, um, nothing, nothing, nothing like that. And that has crossed these pristine lips. Here's what I want to know about the, the I don't understand the chop part of it. I mean, liver is pretty much, you know, bleh, anyway, right? So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, so the consistency like, is not, yes. Yeah. Well, if, it's if not like chopped chop brisket. It, you know, you're chopping brisket. You can tell what they're doing here. Do you really need to be getting a knife out and whacking away at this liver? Well, if you chop it up and mix in some egg and onion and stuff, it becomes a nice gray color that looks like you're eating cement. <laughs> Yuck. Okay. Yeah. I had. Let me ask you this real quick. I, I watched this movie again, and, and this is a movie that everyone should watch. I'm going to start doing this on the podcast during the pandemic. Everybody should watch during the pandemic. Watch Harvey, the movie with Jimmy Stewart, uh, and, and a Arnold, rabbit, and it's in a big, and a big invisible rabbit. Uh, it's a, it's a sweetheart of a movie. Just, is that just out, Kevin? Is that a new Netflix? <laughs> oh, it's not, but they just had it out. Apparently, the people at TCM think it's at Turner Classic Movies think it's important enough to bring it out. 
It's a sweetheart of a movie, first of all. Uh, you should watch it for that. It also has a spectacular dialogue. Uh, it is it is so great and so fast and, and terrific. And anyway, one of the characters in it uh, has an egg and onion sandwich. And I have to say, I've never had an egg and onion sandwich. What I don't even know what that is. Does anybody know? What would that be? Would that be scrambled eggs? Would that be a fried egg? What would that be? You can prepare the eggs however you like. I guess yeah. to fit your taste. My yeah. mother would make a sandwich. This is another thing my mother would make. Would it be a scrambled egg sandwich with a tomato on it? Not an onion, but tomato, which I thought was very good. It was on toast. Did she call it a, a mater? <laughs> she might have. <laughs> Are you calling my mother a hillbilly? No, but you kind of said she'd <laughs> make it with tomato. It's not say tomato. Now you turn me into John Kennedy. This is really good. Let me just let me just say this: that there is not much better for breakfast than a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich. Bacon, egg, and cheese, really? Yeah, but the egg's got to be like uh, fried, so now it's got a nice runny uh, center on toast. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, bacon, egg, specialty I... of the Waffle House. Oh, well, you're not making this yourself then. You're just going out and buying this. I've made it before. Have you? Yeah. You ever had a liver and egg sandwich? Yeah, chopped liver and egg. Ooh. Yeah, that's, that's the other thing I've always heard is that, that that smells terrible. The liver smells terrible. I mean, there's there has been nothing in my life that has made me more want to gag than the smell of chop of liver cooking in my mother's home. Well, then clearly you have not read some of, oh, no, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> okay. Uh, Leave Tim uh, Callishaw's work out of this. <laughs> oh, they're just shot across the bow. Let me just say this about that. <laughs> my, my fine colleague, Tim Callishaw. So yesterday, <laughs> right? It's Monday. I don't, I don't know if you all noticed. Tim has not been, you know, working. Well, he's not been working for us. <laughs> For he's like been two working, or three months. Yeah, for, it's been like since like 1987. But for for you know, like the last six, this is part of the uh, the stuff that he has negotiated with management. You know, meanwhile, there's no negotiation between me and management. They just tell me what to do. I do it. Fine. Okay. Uh, so this is part of his negotiations. He got off like most of the summer so he could go to France or or do something like that. So yesterday was his first day back. First day back on the job, right? He's got a column to write yesterday. He's scheduled to write the column yesterday. And so this thing happens with the Marlins. And basically the deal is that, oh, no, Tim is our – it was 1030. I was in the middle of writing my newsletter. They, 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 they wrote me and said, hey, can you write a column about this Marlins thing? Tim has already filed his column. So, so basically Tim's done for the day. You know, it's his day. Early bird. I've been call, I've been covering for Tim now for six weeks, but oh no, Tim's first day back. I'll go ahead and write another column. The early bird. Yeah. Catch it's up. A good thing, it's a good thing Tim doesn't listen to this podcast. Deliver. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna send this podcast to Tim <laughs> just so he hears this part right here. Anyway. I'm not bitter though. Not at all. Not, no, it not doesn't come all. across that way. No, no, load. Tim, listen, whenever, let, let me just say this. If Tim it should be listening anytime, Tim, you don't want to write something. You don't want to write the news and you want to just write something fun and get it over with by, you know, brunch. You go right ahead. I'll cover for you. 
Let, last question before we actually get to something of substance. Yeah. Well, Tim, first. Tim or potted meat? <laughs> I think if you go in the store and look on the can, there's a picture of Tim on the potted meat. Oh, I, now I've got a question. I've got a, I've got a line, but I'm just going to let it go. Wow. Good for you. Good for you. All right. Speaking of, uh, let's say that was the perfect segue though. It was me complaining about that. Was that, you know, I think we should, we should talk about it. The fact that, that now four more Marlins have tested positive. And this is, I'm, I'm sure this is all just uh, Rob Manfred is just, you know, oh, oh, this will be just fine. We could have 40 Marlins test positive. We'll it up just to 17 now. Is that the, they're up to 17 the number now. With the 15 club officials players and, and two staffers. So it's 17, but check back with us. We'll, yeah, we'll take the coat board later in the hour. You know that they've got a good line on an American Legion team in Miami that you know that can step in and play. Should all the Marlins test positive, no sweat at all. Everything's gonna be just fine. Not no problem at all. Rob Manfred says. I we've we've advanced. I mean, it doesn't take much, but we've advanced so far behind my level of comprehension with this. Um, I. I I, I'm not quite sure here how the decision to, to play was made on Sunday. There were some, there was a group chat among the Marlins players, which I don't think that's in the major league operations manual for this season that, uh, Hey, you guys just start, start a group text and you'll decide by emoji vote. <laughs> that's not um, part of the protocol. I don't think that's no. part of the protocol, uh, but it sure sounded like that is where the decision came from. Um, last night on the MLB-owned MLB Network, in the only comments that MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred has made so far, he said that the league was made aware of the of the issues. Uh, they quarantined a couple of other players, and they went ahead and decided to play. So um, I, I think the issue here is MLB's got to figure out through their contact tracing issue, where this started from, if they can figure that out and figure out that, look, this was a, a simply an issue that the Marlins, and this may come as a surprise, that the Marlins may have taken some shortcuts or been sloppy in any of the testing or protocols, then most of the problems solved uh, and you move on. Um, but if they can't identify this, and there is a real issue for community spread despite all of the protocols that MLB is supposedly adhering to much bigger problem for the sport. Yeah, this is my, uh, this is my problem so far is that, you know, having, you know, read the, the 101 page protocol set of protocols that MLB came up with and the level of detail and, and the things you can do, things you can't do, things we recommend that you do. Um, you know, one of, one of our problems now that for the media is as far as, you know, just seeing, are they really doing this? Is it, we don't see them anymore. You know, we, we can barely, from where we sit in the press box, you can barely even see what well, you can't see inside the Rangers dugout. And you can see, you can see inside the, uh, the, the visiting team's dugout. Um, and you can also, obviously on television, you, you see certain things, but you know, uh, according to the manual or to the set of protocols, uh, when they're in the dugout, they're supposed to be sitting down. They're supposed to be, sitting in one place, not milling around, not walking around. Cause they, they don't want, they want everybody to stay away from everybody. You, it's not, it's not required that you wear a mask. It's recommended that you wear a mask, but at the very least you need to be sitting down 
and away from everybody else. Well, uh, uh, the camera pans into the dugout occasionally, and it looks like a dugout always looks. Guys are walking around. Guys are talking to each other. Guys are, you know, I don't know that I've actually, I've, I'm not seeing anybody, you know, high five at anybody. And 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 for what I can tell, there's there isn't anybody, you know, uh, chewing seeds or whatever. But you know, I, I one of the things that was supposed to happen was that the first base coach was supposed to stay in the box, not walk up to the base and talk to the to the player. They do that all the time, just like now they, they're wearing mat. He's wearing a mask, but of course the guy on first base is not wearing one. The first baseman is. They're not supposed to be talking to each other. Well, they're talking. Well, we've already had a manager kicked out of a the game. They weren't supposed to be getting in arguments with anybody. You know, Did all you these watch things. That video, out. of course, this I, I should be noted that this whole argument between um, Derek Shelton, the Pirates manager, and uh, umpire Jordan Baker was predicated by. Derek Holland, former Ranger, apparently Did Derek start this? from the yes, apparently yelling from the dugout, or maybe he was sitting in the stands. Who knows where he was when this all went down? But the best part about this whole thing was watching the manager and Jordan Baker both kind of approaching each other, and the the umpire basically pulling the mask out of his pocket, trying to get it. He had it on one ear and was holding it up to his head with the other. Shelton left his mask down for a while, then pulled it up when he didn't have anything to say. It was, um, it was a farce. Yeah. But then again, this whole season kind of is. But it, it is, it, and, I, and I think that's the whole point. Now, isn't it? It's like, all right, <laughs> these are look, these are not scientists, right? Uh, that are are playing these games. They're 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 baseball players, and and bless their hearts, that you know I think they're trying to do what they're supposed to do. But you know when it comes right down to it, you just revert to who you are. You know it's like I, I'm playing baseball, right? I'm not. I, I shouldn't have to be. It's, I'm not at a hospital. I'm not. You know what what the heck? Why do I have to have a mask on? And and they're just not going to remember all this stuff. And plus, you know, look here's some of the things involved in it. Uh, you, you touch a baseball, they say, oh, we need to get a baseball out of play. After every time a ball is in play, we're getting now. But let's say this happens here, which is we can see in some of the Ranger games. Pitcher throws a ball. He's touched it. Goes to, to the batter. He hits it. Goes to shortstop. They try a double play. You know, you know, it, the ball gets away from somebody. Somebody throws it across the bat, across the diamond someplace else. That means that four, five, six guys can touch the ball on any one play. Which Sounds like Rangers. you just described a typical Rangers play from this weekend. That's what I and that's what I wrote. Uh, so that that yeah, that's the way it, it looked. And I, I would like to also say that just as a as a side, that, you know, the Rangers have looked really sharp. Let me just say that. Uh, you know, maybe a little PFP would have been good. You know, we've had we've had pitchers throwing balls away. You know, that's one of the things that I, I can. Yeah, that's why. Bless his heart, Mike Miner, who was pitching great. I, this always drives me crazy with pitchers. A ball gets hit back to him. He's got all the time in the world. Pick up the ball, throw the guy out. He's 60 feet away from you. You're a pitcher. You're, you're a guy who throws to pinpoint accuracy in places. Instead, he panics. He's off balance, throws, and bounces the ball probably five feet in front of, of uh, poor Jeff Mathis, you know, and who's trying to make a tag, trying to catch the ball to make a tag all at the same time. Why do pitchers well, always do that? Why, why, why don't it pitchers hasn't exactly gone – Hasn't exactly gone well for the guys who are supposed to catch ground balls as as, as a profession either. So no, um, uh, Ruggie Odor has had a struggle mightily at second base uh, so far this year. You know, which he certainly didn't need to be doing that. You so know? far this year, I mean, it's a weekend, Kevin. He, well, he I know. 
I mean, he's, that's it. Yeah. he's had a whole year in one weekend. <laughs> he's had a hand in that. Now I'll give I'll give him this. He won the opener for him. So you know, with a, with a base hit, and that was that was good. He needed to do that. But yeah, he. I'm not uh, so sure. Robinson Trinos didn't win the opener for him by getting a called third, a called second strike in the ninth inning when Jose Leclerc was really, really struggling with his command. Yeah, I and couldn't believe it. Uh, we talked about that ball was high and up, right? Yeah. Uh, that was that was not a strike. There was no way that was a strike. It was a good job of framing or a bad job of umpiring, but um, that was as critical a play as there was in that game. But, look, the, yeah, the bottom line is uh, on Odor that uh, it's, 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 been, it's not been good defense, and it's looked, it's looked rushed, and it's looked – um, a little bit panicked and we can spend all day talking about what he's got to do as a hitter but those plays that th- those are plays he's got to make you know he, he's got to get an out on the ball up the middle shouldn't try and rush it and turn it into a double play the rundown on Sunday was just um, uh, it was just abominable and that he held the ball way way too long yeah, those are and and that's it was the, kind the of abominable thing. rundown. Yeah, that, that's the kind of thing that you you're a veteran player. You simply can't make that kind of mistake. You know, physical mistakes. The first one on the ball at the middle, the ball seemed to get stuck in his glove. Um, I, I do have a problem with a guy not seeming to move his feet enough either. If I thought if he if he was moving his feet instead of just trying to take the backhand on the play and kind of got himself in that position was not good, but. Yeah, that's true. I guess we're we're moving off of the. Are we going now from uh, talking about the the coronavirus? We're off the Marlins. <laughs> yeah, we're off the Marlins. We're off all that. Forget well, it. We well, I was it. I was going to say real quickly on that though. It's 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 interesting that, and I don't want to get into a political debate here, but a lot of a lot of the frustration in the country on how this has been handled has been whether it's should federal government handle the corona coronavirus response or our states individually the point people to determine how it's handled in their states and and sports leagues have the same issue and you're seeing it here because like you say um if it's administered from the league overall you would have a little bit more consistent protocol the fact it's not and clubs are really policing themselves i know you have the outside testing but still there's more to it as far as adhering to protocol. And, and as we've seen with the Astros and, and other teams, like different teams are going to interpret and follow protocols and guidelines differently. And um, it, it's ludicrous that a team can have a text conversation to determine how they're going to proceed in that game. What one, it should never be down to that level. Two, the team itself should be overseeing that, but the fact the team isn't and doesn't want to get involved and calls, look, there's going to be a lot of friction during this time because you are mandating to athletes protocols that go against their normal routine and behavior. And really, you would rather that come from a league official who is installed with the team to make sure compliance takes place versus a manager or a general manager or anything like that. So I I really think that all of these leagues are probably abdicating too much authority. They're coming together and saying, okay, this is what needs to happen. And you all police yourselves. Well, you're not going to have a level 
playing field of policement or enforcement. And, and that's where the league needs to step in and be more proactive. And it just doesn't appear that that's been the case with the Marlins at all or, or in Major League Baseball to this point. Well, it's the same thing with the NCAA, right? That's what sure. all these all these leagues across America are all deciding what they're going to do. The reason why the, the Power Five conferences uh, are canceling all these non-conference games, frankly, is because, well, they need a little space to work around and they want to get rid of some of these games. But also because, hey, we've got really good protocols. We don't know what they're doing, you know, at Arkansas State. I don't know if they're really, you know, you know cleaning things up and doing what they're supposed to do. So, so therefore – yeah, we're canceling those games. You know, we're not taking any more chances than we have to. And meanwhile, the NCAA just sit back and going, okay, yeah, whatever you guys want to do. And, and you know, they, they don't really run football anymore anyway. Uh, they, they don't run the championships uh, for football. So that, I guess that's part of the NCAA's excuse. But I think you're exactly right, David. I think that's, that's what's happened across the board is that no one really knows what to do. And so the people in charge are just saying, all right, you guys just do what, you know, whatever you think. You know, whatever's the best thing here. Here's in place. We see if you violate it, there are consequences to it. But as far as uniform enforcement, there's not. Yeah. And 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 again, you know, like you say, that, that document's 101 pages. I doubt that I my belief is even some of the people who had a hand in writing that document couldn't fully explain or legislate every single element in there. You know, they, it was broken up and people were doing different parts. And, and, and that's the other thing of this. I mean, it's not just it's not just health and safety concerns or other. There are a lot of other constituencies coming in here when you make decisions on on how to handle something. And, it, and it's just um, there's not a coordinating board or effort or point person to say to make sure that it's fairly applied and, and administered. And and I think every I think every sports league is going to be dealing with this on some level. I, I think the NBA's and uh, NHL are a little bit more immune from it because how they're set up and, and they're in a centralized location, which makes a big difference. But uh, baseball and football, I, I think are going to have, uh, we've already seen the issues in baseball and, and I think you're going to see them in football going forward as well. Now, this is the thing that uh, I, I was seeing yesterday uh, was people saying that, well, yeah, you know, see, the NBA went into the bubble, and so this is what you really need to do. Well, first of all, you're only completing an eight-game season, right? And then you're going straight to the playoffs. So this is – and then at, at, at some point they've even talked about the fact that, all right, we'll, we'll let the families come in here at the, after the first round of the playoffs uh, if your team makes it that far. So you're not talking about a very long time for this to happen in the first place with the NBA. Second obviously the rosters are very small, you know, it's much easier to do this kind of thing when you have a small yes. rosters. Um, so it's the, the NBA is set up ideally for this. That's not the case in baseball. You're, you're going to try to play 60 games, you know, that's two months of games that you're going to try to do, uh, which is going to make this really difficult. It's a larger roster, especially it's a larger roster now because you need to have these, this replacement pool in place. And then for football, it's practically impossible in my mind you're going to have, you know, 50 something guys or whatever they're going to come up with. I don't even know if they've readjusted and, and, and are going to do a different size roster because of, of, of this. And then they normally carry. Uh, and I just think that's, and then it, it, not only is that practically impossible in, in the NFL to try to do a bubble, you'd have all week long where these guys are doing nothing. I'm telling you, you'd have guys breaking out of the bubble left and right, you know, and 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 and, that, and that's the other issue is that you know, listen, 
we, we know what these guys do on the road. We know how, you know, what the kind of lines that they live. It's just like, uh, you know, Jason McCourty of the, uh, of the Patriots on his podcast with his brother yesterday said, I'm seeing things where guys are going to nightclubs. I'm seeing guys, I see parties where guys with over, or there a hundred people are around them. That's what they're doing right now. You know, yes. Okay. Maybe they're not, you know, in training camp and then they're not reporting, but if they have such little regard for it now, what makes you think they're going to abide by all the rules all of a sudden once, once they get to camp and then they get to the season, they're, somebody's going to, somebody's going to break, they're going to break bad here and, and something's going to happen. And that's all it takes. It, it's just one, one person doing something like that, bringing it back to everybody else. You know, you know, you, you report to the ballpark or whatever, you know, when that, the first two things I've done since all this started was going out to the ballpark last week for uh, the, the exhibition opener and then the uh, regular season opener. And, you know, they, they took my temperature there at the, uh, at the, at the, at the door, you know, you put me at risk both times, Kevin. Yes, I did. And, 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 you know, but that, that's it. It's like, you know, I don't have to have a temperature to have it. You know, I just, I'm just walking in and yeah. And I did wear my mask, uh, the whole time, except when I had to pull it down because my glasses would bog up. I had to pull it down a little bit, put it back up, you know, and then when, except when I was eating, but I'm going to rat out a few of my uh, compatriots. There were people in the press box. We're all supposed to be wearing our mask all the time. They're not wearing their mask. You know, we're Ooh. all spread out, you know, Who are gonna, they? Should, should, should we rat them out, Evan? No, because there have been, there have been moments like after I ate something that I didn't keep the mask on, I, I forgot, or I was drinking something. Uh, well, I've already reported you, you've been reported. But I, I you know, I mean, the, the good thing about the Rangers press box in, in this situation is everybody's pretty much seated at least 10 feet away from one another. Um, Let me just say something. That is one whopping big press box. Yeah, but nobody cares about that. I mean, that's. Well, I think people care if they know what we're doing. No, they don't. And 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 the other side is that we are actually sitting on top of the roof. We are not even inside the building. <laughs> it is, is way up there. Um, but I, uh, we're on listen, top of the grill, as we like to call it. I. <laughs> I think that. Um, all this, uh, all of these things, none of these, none of these guidelines, none of these protocols, John Daniels echoed this again yesterday, whether it's for media, whether it's for players, it's not about eliminating the virus. You're not going to eliminate it, but it is about minimizing the risk. And uh, you are talking about asking people to act responsibly um, as, as much of the time. And it's, it's harder for a 22 or a 23 year old to know exactly what responsibility is at all points in time. Um, uh, we're seeing we're seeing examples of this immediately, and and so, you know, this is as you guys mentioned, NBA roster is 12 players, a major league baseball roster now is 30 players, and we've seen an, a kind of an exponential breakout in with an with an MLB team now go to an NFL roster which is going to be I would assume it will still be 53 this year right yeah they'll expand the the practice squad so you'll actually have more than 60 players they'll have you know yeah so I I mean I would only assume that no matter what you do you're going to have probably more breakouts in the NFL than you would in Major League Baseball and 
whether we proceed or not is, is a question that I think all of us are wrestling with. I think a big question for me is, is uh, NFL players look at this uh, and if they try to impose any more restrictions because of what's happened in MLB, uh, I think you'd have more players pulling out. I, I think that more people would say, yeah, I'm not doing that. Uh, uh, I'm not going to risk my, I'm not going to risk my family. You know, um, I'm not going to, you know, compromise my lifestyle, whatever, whatever it is that they, they might uh, do, but it, it'll be interesting to me to see as this thing builds uh, with the Marlins and if that expands to the Phillies and, and, uh, or the Braves or whatever, um, I'll be very interested to see uh, what the ramifications of that will be. I, I, you know, at this point, if they're up to 17 and that's in a, you know, a matter of what, 72 hours, uh, you know, what's that final number going to be? And, and, you know, cause here's the other thing. All right. Let's, let's say, Okay, yeah, they, they've got a 60-player pool that they can replace players with. But at some point, don't you have to say with the Marlins that you know, they're, they're all coming from the same place. It's not like they're bringing them in from Saskatchewan. These, these are guys who have all been exposed to each other. At some point, you have to say, hey, the Marlins can't be playing anybody right now, okay? We can't risk you know, infecting anybody else. So how does that affect the integrity of the schedule? You know, do you, do you at some point, you can't – uh, the games are already kind of jammed together as it is. There are a few off days that mixed in here. There are just so many games you can actually play. At one point, do you say, well, the Marlins are not going to play these games. They're, they're, they're canceled. Yeah, I, I think that's a real possibility, and I think you will have a situation with potentially some teams playing 60, some teams playing 54, some teams playing 56. I think that's just what you're going to have to do. Um, that happened after the strike, right? And then it was yeah. just uh, the winning percentage. You went with that. Yeah. There was no. And but, again, but that, again was because, that was because when the strike happened, people were at different places different in their schedule. And I think that the, the schedule was just picked up on the date that it was supposed to pick up. So, But, you know, that's another issue, too. I mean, if, if you're respon- – and, again, I preface this all by saying you can responsibly – adhere to the guidelines and do everything you possibly can and still have an outbreak. I think that's still possible. You're minimizing the, the ability, but that, that's still a possibility. So I don't want to set it apart. Like if you do everything right, you know, you should be rewarded. But, but that being said, if you're seriously following the protocols and you just happen to, to come up against the Marlins team that's shorthanded in the schedule, but then they go, well, no, you can't play them because they don't have enough. Then why should you be penalized for managing this and taking it seriously when perhaps your opponent has not? And now that's going to hurt your playoff chance. So, I mean, yeah, th- this does impact the competitive integrity. Uh, yeah, I of do the think game. you have to look at the possibility of some potential forfeitures. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and again, that's why I say when we we're talking earlier, that's the same thing states have found themselves in. States have handled this, some of them side by side have handled it very differently as far as how they've approached uh, with their population about what the guidelines are and how to approach this. And, and now you have an outbreak county in county, one state. State by state. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, you know, now you have an outbreak in one state and then you have a neighboring state who's gone about it differently and doesn't have the outbreaks. And you're going, well, wait, now we don't want people from your state coming in. And if you do, you have to quarantine for 14 days. But that's impacting their industry tourism industry uh, you know you know a lot of other factors so it's just it's uh 
so much we're interconnected but everyone wants to control themselves and and in, and in this virus we're just seeing uh the the cracks in the in the foundation that 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 causes we want our freedoms yeah yeah or something sure um all right so let's uh so and uh, this sounds almost kind of foolish after what we just talked about here. I, I, I will say this. I, I did think going into the season, that was one of the questions we were asked by Tommy Mogelson was uh, uh, the baseball editor. Uh, okay. Do you think the baseball season will finish, you know, starts and finishes as scheduled? Uh, I said, yes. I think of all of us, I think Newey Scruggs was the only one who said no. Uh, I think Newey said that uh, the baseball will be called in the middle of October, middle of August or something like that. It gets a little quick, but uh, I'm having my doubts now uh, about whether you can pull this off. Uh, I, I did not, I will say this. I had, I did not see this happening with a club uh, with this many te testing positive at one time. I thought there might be four or five or six. I did not think it could get to 17, you know, on the first weekend, on the first weekend. I mean, it's like, Holy cow, 17. I mean, that's just, that's just unbelievable. Um, so, and you know, and we and we and we don't ever talk about this part of it. Uh, we make it sound like yeah, yeah, most of these guys are going to be fine. Most of them are going to have. Uh, you know, we, we don't know. Uh, there was one report I read earlier in the day that said that not all of these players were asymptomatic. That there apparently some of them were ill. Uh, now we don't know the level of, of what that was. We don't know anything about it. And 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 Lord knows we hope that they're all fine and they're all going to be fine. But uh, baseball has had a couple of, of issues where they were not. You know, the pitching coach for the, the Cubs uh, uh, was 38 years old at the time. Tommy, how do you pronounce Tommy's last name, Evan? Hadovy. Hadovy. Uh, who got it? It was he was hospitalized for one day. Didn't not overnight, but was uh, had some uh, real breathing problems uh, and and struggled with it, and uh, was really sick for a month. And uh, uh, he. It was very emotional talking about that and about what happened to him and how he was, you know, worried about what other players, uh, the possibilities. And then of course we had a, a scout for the, for the Diamondbacks who was working in the Dominican Republic, I believe it wasn't he, Evan? Yeah. On Maya, uh, 40 years old who died from, uh, COVID complications. Uh, so these were not, you know, 80 year old men who, who died from this, uh, young people, can have serious complications. Uh, it, there's not really any rhymes or reason for any of it. So at what point are we risking that happening uh, with this, when you have this many? Uh, I don't know. I, I couldn't, off the top of my head, I'm, I'm not sure what the uh, what that percentage would be, how many would have to have it to follow the national trends. Uh, but we do have over 140,000 people who who have died uh, in this country from it. So it's, it's. Well, uh, and what you don't know. So uh, again, a, a lot of focus and, and people who want to minimize this go, well, look, the, the symptoms are, are minor. You don't talk about all the people have minor symptoms. Some don't even know they have it. What you don't have the information on yet are the long-term implications potentially that, that come with this. Uh, no one knows yet that does this just stay in your system and you know, it, will it create complications or come back at a later date? Uh, we don't have all that information. And so that, that's another reason why people are just going, well, when they try to minimize it, you don't know, you don't have enough information yet to minimize it, you know? No. 
And, and that's, not, that's not living in fear and reacting in fear. That's an acknowledgement of, we don't know what the long-term ramifications of this are. Uh, what if, because again, why do some people have it? Why do other healthy people go on ventilators with no underlying conditions? You, you can't right. explain that. So, I mean, it's just, there's too much unknown about this to dismiss it and just go, well, it's, it's, you know, it's not what everyone says it is. No one really knows what it is yet. They know what it is in the moment, but they don't know what it is beyond this or if it has implications beyond this. That is correct. There have been stories about people who have, uh, and young people who've, uh, who had it and then uh, have had some lingering lung issues uh, in particular, which, you know, that's, that's obviously something very unpleasant. So, so pivoting on that, Evan, uh, the Rangers who, who just can't uh, stand not uh, contributing to the news uh, also lost one of the guys that they uh, were really counting on this year in the first inning. Uh, Corey Kluber uh, threw a few pitches, has noticed some problems in his shoulder. Turns out he, he uh, tore a muscle in his shoulder, and that's a minimum of four weeks before you can even start throwing again. So we're talking probably six weeks, best case scenario, that he would be ready to pitch again, correct? Clayton Kershaw missed uh, almost six weeks when he did this in 2014. He had less innings on his arm. He was eight years younger. Um, this is a minimum six-week injury. Uh I think that John Daniels acknowledged yesterday that time does not work in the Rangers' favor here and that if Kluber returns this year, it would be in some kind of relief role, and that would probably be sometime in September. Um, what it does do is it puts the Rangers in a really, in a really difficult spot. I mean, in, in their perfect world, you know, Kluber was going to come out and have a solid season for him and be part of a rotation that was going to be above average. Well, now you take that element out of it. You also take out the possibility that the Rangers will be able to evaluate him real strongly or that he would simply be able to lock in the vesting option in his contract for 2021, which would have been 160 innings in a full season and was then prorated down to 59 and a third innings for the 60-game season. Um, and so they would have had another above-average starter for their 2021 rotation. Now they're going to have to make a call on an $18 million salary based on one inning and 36 innings over the last few years on a 35-year-old pitcher. That's going to be a tough, a tough call to make. So uh, it puts the Rangers in a, um, I don't want to say a crisis mode, but it, it certainly changes the, the, potentially changes the dynamic of this season really, really quickly. Look, Kevin, you on opening day were writing about, well, let's go out and get Nolan Arenado for this club. Um, I think the Rangers in, in the first two weeks have to make a decision as to whether or not this, this attempt at rebuilding, <laughs> the most recent attempt at rebuilding, has gone up in flames with the injury of, of Kluber, the loss of, of the full length of this season. Um, and do they consider trying to trade guys like Miner and Lynn and uh, even Joey Gallo? Yeah, you stuck in that Joey Gallo thing there, real uh, kind of just furtively. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that's a that's a big issue here. Yeah, and you're right. I I wrote that column based on the fact that uh, that one that that Lynn had such a good year last year, and he, and even though he struggled in the opener, 
he still did a great job uh, against the Rockies for six innings, uh, nine strikeouts. Uh, and that was with him struggling at that point. Um, and, and then Mike Miner came back and did the same thing he did last year too. The, both of them looked exactly like they looked last year. I thought that, you know, they're, they're and, and then most of the zips projections and everything else were saying that they expected these guys to be able to do that again. Now, whether they could do it again next year, I don't know, but it does change the, it does change everything now uh, because it, in this season, in a 60-game season, nothing is too small. There is no development that is too small. It's not a big deal. Everything is, is, is magnified tremendously here when this kind of stuff happens. And I, and I think you're right. The Rangers are going to have to make a lot of decisions here the, um, uh, because they were going to – you know, you didn't uh, discuss the reason why they would want to talk about trading Joey Gallo, which is obviously the bigger issues. It's not – Trading Miner and Lynn and those guys, those yeah, those are decisions you'd have to make anyway. Well, no Miner's signed through next year. Lynn, I mean, Lynn is signed through next year. Miner is a potential free agent at the end of this year and was right. going to be a guy that you'd have to talk about trading one way or another. Well, even, even, but you know, that's the other thing. In in this season, which is such, is, is it may end up being a washout. You're you're not going to get anything for Mike Miner at this. But you trade. No, you're not. You're not going to get anything. You know, and so and so to me, you need to make, the call you need to make on minor is: Do we want to bring the guy back? Correct. Do do we like him enough to give him a contract? I I said that last year they should have given him a contract. I I do think you should like him. I do think uh, I like what he brings. That there's not a lot of innings on his arm. You know, so I, I think that that uh, those are all factors in all this. But you know, th- th- they are going to have to make a decision. I, my my problem with them breaking all this down, Evan, is that I'm not confident and John Daniels' ability to, uh, to build from scratch. You know, he did it one time uh, and certainly and, and, and built the world's, two World Series teams. Uh, but he has really struggled since then. Uh, and, and, str- and certainly they continue to struggle in the draft. They have not produced any, nearly enough out of the draft uh, to supplement what they can do. We've not seen from the owners that they are willing to go big on spending. We, we've seen that they will increase and they will add and they will do some incremental things, but they're not going to go out over the top as their, as their pursuit of Anthony Rendon proved, you know, this is where it is in baseball now. Uh, and, you know, I had a discussion with a couple of, of people after I wrote the column on opening day talking about trading for uh, Nolan Arenado. And one guy said, you know, one player is not going to make this team into a contender. And I said, well, you know, here's the thing that you got to understand about baseball and, and understand about this team and what the problems with the Rangers are to begin with. There is not, there's not an anchor on this team right as it is right now. There is not one guy on this team. You can say, this is the guy you can build around right here. Either they're too old, like Shin Su Chu, too unproven, like Joey Gallo. There, there are too many guys on this team that have questions marks about them. Or there's no question mark about a Nolan Arenado. He is he is one of the five best players in the game. Yeah, so, I think if you just look at the if you look at the two lineups this week, um, and just go down one by one, you know, you look at guys like Blackman and Dahl, and then you get to Arenado and Story um, and Story. Obviously, uh, those four players are better than any four players in the Rangers in the Rangers lineup. Um, you can make an argument that Joey Gallo somehow belongs in that group of four, but the other guys, I think, have, you know, had a little bit longer track record. Joey's certainly got the ability to be a franchise, a rock, the, the center of a franchise, but he hasn't had a full season of production to, to do it. 
Um, and, and so that is, the, the, those are one of those are, that's one of the things that, again, you know, you, you play all spring training and you, you do all this stuff and you hear all the optimistic stuff. And then you see this team play a real game and you, you line them up against the other players and you're, you're reminded that there are still miles to go. Now I did think that on paper, the starting rotation was above average. And even with the Kluber injury, you look at what's going on around the big leagues right now, the Astros have already lost Justin Verlander. There's, there's big losses that have already taken place, and the starting rotation may be above average. But I think the Rangers are going to have to make some decisions about this team based on a very short period of time um, if, they're, if, they need to, if they need to accelerate rebuilding then they're going to have to uh, they're going to have to make that decision based on on a short period of time. Yeah, and my and my problem with that is, is like we as as I just noted, yes, John did build a, uh, a, a two back to back World Series teams. Uh, he he did that in ways like you know well, let, let's just talk about that real quickly. You know, with the Josh Hamilton, certainly a key player, and they not would not have gone to those World Series without Josh Hamilton. They 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 traded Edison Bolquez to get him. Edison was a guy that they really liked, uh, and ended up being a good pitcher, and and it's still a pitcher. Um, but Josh Hamilton was a you know a, a franchise player, and they kind of got him for nothing. And I, in my mind, you, you you can't make that trade and end up with the player that they got, who for five years was one of the you know, five or six best players in baseball. Uh, so th- that stuff just doesn't happen very often is what I'm not saying. Not anymore. No, no not it's, anymore. Just, it's just hard to do that kind of thing. If you give up on – if you trade Joey Gallo and you give up on him, what are you getting back for him? That's what I want to know. I, I want to – you know, I, I, I do not trust this – I don't trust this brain trust to say we can identify these guys. Yes, this guy, this guy, this these three guys we're going we're gonna to talk about. Because as I – uh, was talking to, or as I was replying to some of these people who were complaining about this Nolan Arenado deal, and and the players that we put in there, and, and Evan and I discussed this. This has been talked about before. What would it take to get Nolan Arenado? Well, it probably it, it probably wouldn't even get him. But you would start with Sam Huff, the catcher they like so well. Cole Wynn, one of their top prospects as a pitcher. Uh, probably Nick Solak, and then at least probably one more prospect, and and a good prospect at that to do that. Well, let me just tell you, you know, as, as I told this guy, I have zero confidence that any of those guys are, are going to end up being stars. I have zero confidence that any of those guys that they might end up being players. I think Nick Solak's a player. I think he will play for the Rangers or whoever it ends up being. He'll be a decent player for somebody. Uh, but as I pointed out to this guy, Nolan Arenado has been a star since he was 22 years old, a, a, a star. It is really hard to find those kind of players. It is not hard to find players like Nick Solak. You know, that it, it's a nice player, but you can, you can go out and find those kind of guys. You can either sign them, you know, draft them, whatever. You can find players like that. It's really hard to find the other kind. So if Joey Gallo, if they still think that he has potential to be that, and, and he's not going to be Nolan Arenado, but he, I think he can be a very good player. Uh, to me, I think you gotta, you got to hold on to that. Because they've just got so few that they've ever developed. I don't have confidence that if they break this team down, it will ever be uh, a contender. Uh, well, in my lifetime, I, you know, it, it would take six, five, six, seven years to do that. And who wants to sit through all that? I can't disagree. Well, 
Listen, I, I feel like I have, um, I, I guess I have more confidence or more belief in John Daniels because I've, I've seen some of the, I, I think that some of the smart moves this club has made over the past couple of years kind of go a little bit under the radar, not under the radar, but get washed away by the fact that the team hasn't been a playoff team. But Miner and Lynn were really brilliant signings. They were, they, 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 they yes, go they down were. as brilliant signings. Um, I, even with the Kluver situation, that was certainly a risk worth taking. And you look at what you gave up. You gave up a guy who was a fourth outfielder in everybody's estimation, a very good guy, but just never seemed to get over the hump as an everyday player and a guy who's going to miss this entire year with a PED suspension and part of next year. So I think that was, was a risk worth taking. Um, let's speak of the PED. The draft. The draft, let's just go back for one second. I mean, this is where this club has killed itself because yes. that's where you get the cheap, the, the best talent, the cheapest, and the Rangers, the best they have to show from the draft over the last decade is Joey Gallo. And we've just spent 10 minutes talking about how Joey Gallo is not yet uh, an established star of the magnitude that you would like to, to, that you need to be a contender. I think he's got the ability to be that, but he hasn't done it in, in, in three years, whether it's been because of injury or because he needed to make improvements. Um, or this year, it's going to be because of a 60-game season. It's going to be hard to evaluate. All right, let me ask you this really quick, uh, because it's on, on, the, on Saturday. On Saturday, a guy named Nelson Cruz hit 40 years old, hit two home runs and two doubles, four for five, drove in seven runs. Only three players in the history of baseball at the age of 40 or older, have driven in as many as seven runs in one game. Two of them, of those guys, were Stan Musial and uh, Reggie Jackson. Uh, so, back in 2013, when they let him go, uh, when they let Nelly Cruz go, um, I said that was a mistake then. Uh, I, I think you could almost go back to the decision to let Nelly Cruz go, led to the decisions about... Prince Fielder, about Shinsu Chu, uh, led them down a path uh, that they, they've just never gotten off of. You know, if, if Nelly Cruz was still a Ranger, and I know that, and I don't even think anybody, that many fans hold it against him what happened in game six. I mean, they hold that play against him, but they don't, but they don't hold it. They don't say, oh, I, there's no way I want Nelly Cruz. Let me ask you this, Evan. Do you believe the decision to let Nelly walk was based on that, or was it based on the, uh, the his decision to, to take the uh, suspension in season instead of waiting until the next year? Or do you believe that the Rangers felt like, hey, he's never gonna he's never gonna match those years he's already had? I think two things. I think one, you, uh, I, I think the, the Rangers felt personally burned by by the decision to. Um, kind of change his stance. I think they had been told that he would wait until 2014 for the uh, for the suspension. Um, I think when he when he decided that, they felt like he had um, left the team in a lurch, so to speak. Um, and I think the second part of it is, look, once you've got a guy who's an impending free agent um, and he's got a steroid strike against him, it's gonna it's gonna plant some questions in your mind about just how real the performance was and just how much you can count on it. So um, all of that was, uh, 
all of that was led to that fact. But the bottom line was the Rangers could have re-signed him for one year and $8 million and kind of gotten a better assessment of, is this, is this guy going to be able to continue to do this? I don't think there's anybody who thought that at 34 years old or whatever it was when Nelson Cruz was, was, was made free by the Rangers, thought that at 40 years old, this guy was – you're going to be talking about this guy potentially pursuing 500 home runs. Yeah, it's, it's the crazy – he was a very good player for the Rangers, obviously. He's been a superstar since he left the team. And, and of course, you know, there are questions about – about Nelly, whether he's still using PEDs, obviously that, that, that is, and that's a legitimate question to ask about a guy at his age, four years old, still the kind of player he is because of the, of the players that I mentioned that have been 40 years old and uh, would have seven RBIs in a game. The third guy was Jason Jombie and we know about his track record. So uh, I, I think, I think that those are legitimate questions. The thing is about it uh, though, is that, and, and Evan, you know, this, Who's a who's a bigger sweetheart than Nelly Cruz? Uh, whether he's a tremendous, he's, he's a tremendous uh, humanitarian um, and a, a good-hearted person. Um, that also can't color your decision if you think that the guy is a either declining in performance or b uh, using an artificial in, enhancement. Yeah, of course, that, that's the thing. Uh, and, and, of course, this is his third club. The Twins are his third club since the Rangers let him go. Uh, he's never signed a long-term deal with anybody since then, which obviously you're not when you're 34 years old. But I would say this, that, that the money spent on Nelson Cruz by these three clubs has been well spent uh, since then. He's been – he's been I, I believe it, uh, that, that uh, he might have been the biggest run producer in baseball over that period. Is, is that a possibility? Possibility, yeah. I don't have the yeah. numbers in front of me. Yeah, that's a lot. Anyway, anyway, uh, more typical Rangers kind of stuff. All right, uh, let's 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 move over now, uh, real quickly, to talk about the the Mavericks. Kristaps uh, uh, Porzingis apparently just wandering around, having a good time uh, in the bubble, uh, taking tests when he wants to take them, walks in, walks out. I don't care. That might be a little harsh assessment to say that uh, he missed a test and uh missed so he missed a scrimmage because of that um don't we think aren't, aren't people asking people hey did you take your test today is that a question that comes up yeah and i think also rick carlisle was saying that they actually have like a buddy system to remind you hey don't forget to take your test today now they've expanded the group to like three players or a buddy group or whatever to all remind each other to hey have you taken your test today so I think it would be a little like, too buddy-buddy. It buddy. seemed like a rather significant daily event yeah. not to skip over. I mean, I forget occasionally. We've got – Gina bought me some uh, plants for the deck for a little vegetable garden, and I forget occasionally to water them every day. But it seems a little bit more important. Like, if you're there to play basketball and the first thing you have to do to play basketball is get a test, you, you might pay attention to that. Yeah, that is your only focus is to prepare to, you know. And, and again, I guess it was on an off day as well, which makes it even more. And, I, again, I think they all have prescribed times where they have to go buy a room to get their test. But it's not, it's not like it's in a 15-minute window either. I mean, I think it's a pretty generous window that's open and when you can go by and get tested. 
Yeah. Let's just hope he got that out of his system and he's going to be a little more responsible from here on out. Because, you know, you'd hate to think that they were playing a game that was really important. It's like, oh, I forgot to take my test, by the way, Coach. Uh, so, can't play. Uh, that that was, was bad. Test, was that today? Yeah. Yeah, not 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 real good. You know, he's an interesting guy. I, I whenever I've been around him, he's he's uh, he's very you know thoughtful, answers your questions, and seems like a good guy. You know, and of course, before he got here, he had some issues in New York, uh, and uh, and it makes you wonder uh, who is this guy? You know, what is he really like? I, and I you know I couldn't say that. I, don't, I haven't been around him enough to know. Um, but you know they're they're counting on him. Obviously, he's the he's the number two. Uh, so you're you're really counting on him to be a, a good and responsible uh, guy. And I have no reason to doubt that he he won't be that. He just made a little mistake here, and and, uh, and that's something that you can work out. Do you but, think by any chance he was like, hey, Lou Williams went to Magic City? Did, what does it matter if I missed my test today? I'm good. Not taking it seriously, you mean? Uh, I don't know. I guess that's a possibility. You know, these are young people. Uh, maybe so. Who goes to strip clubs in a pandemic? I still, I, I'm still stuck on that one. Well, let me just say, you know, we we, we brought that up earlier about uh, about these guys and their lifestyles and and uh, and and what they're like and what they do. Um, uh listen this is going to be really interesting to me over the long haul we, we're just barely into this as, as we said we're in the first weekend of baseball and what happens you know the marlins got 17 guys that tested positive you know we're we're we hadn't even gotten to any games yet in the nba you had one guy who snuck out of the bubble you had you had a a, a maverick who skipped his test uh, and we hadn't even started playing games yet you know, when these guys are under lock and key, essentially, and have to be, uh, you know, in a, in a certain area and they, and they can't get out and do the things they want to do, how will they react to that over a longer period of time? What, how will it go? What if your team comes out and loses five or six straight games? You know, uh, how committed will they be at that point? How many players will just say, you know what, this is not worth it. I'm not doing this. You know, I, I just think that there, there will be uh, – so many issues involved, and it's such an easy out to say now, you know what, no one's looking bad at anybody who decided not to play, so therefore, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to play either. Uh, it's, just, it's just too much, too many risks involved. It's no fun. This is, you know, part of my – all the things I, I get to do, and that's great about being a star and a celebrity, I, I'm not getting to do any of those kind of things now. Let me tell you something. I have zero issue with anybody who decided not to play this year or who decides really at any point in time, uh, this is a little bit too much. Now, if it comes down to boredom versus over risk, that, that's one thing. But there's real risk out there and there's real, real consequences. Uh, I also admire guys who have, who have taken this seriously and taken the protocol seriously and said, A, I want to do my job. B, I want to provide some kind of um, – uh, outlet. I was really impressed with with stuff Lance Lynn said after his game on Friday night. That he actually said I was too amped up. That I was really excited to be back at work and doing my job. And and there's both of those spectrums on on both ends of those spectrums. There's validity. I just don't I don't get the public um, 
And, and maybe it's out of jealousy because there's a lot of people who have been forced into essential jobs basically to make ends meet this, at this point in time around. And I completely get that and, and empathize with it. But if a player has the ability to opt out and, and feels like this is a risky situation, I can't, I can't argue with that. No, surely not. Surely not. Okay, uh, that was really quick on the on the NBA and the Mavericks. Now we're moving over to the uh, the Cowboys, David. So uh, what's what's the countdown on actual practices? It's like 365 days, and then they're they're going to start yeah, basically. Uh, even Corey, let, let's call this a soft opening to training camp. Uh, the the bulk of the roster was uh, on uh, Tuesday, July 28th. They were going for their testing. Um, they have to have three negative tests over the span of the next five days. At that point, they will be allowed to go into the facility to begin weightlifting and cardio. Uh, all of the meetings are going to be virtual. So today, players were going up. Uh, they, uh, the NFL contracted with uh, BioReference, I believe, which is also the company that does the NBA and Major League Soccer. Uh, they have a um, they have a van set up, you know, none of the players can go into the facility. So they're reporting to the back loading dock at the star, uh, going there, getting their nasal swabs. Uh, they have the option to take an antibody test if they want it, um, not required. And then, um, they will promptly turn around and leave and go back home and then, uh, get on their phones or laptops for a virtual meeting, a series of virtual meetings over the course of the day. So that's what it's going to be like over the next five days. Uh, if they get to three negative tests, they will have then conduct their physicals. Uh, like I said, then at that point, they're cleared to go into the facility, uh, start with the weight work, uh, cardio. Uh, you're, you're looking at the, the first practice, I believe, is going to be April. Uh, April is going to be uh, August 12th. Uh, that will be um, no helmets, no pads, just out, just out running around for a couple of days, which is what they would do to start training camp. Uh, I believe August 14th is the first day that uh, players are allowed to practice in helmets. And then August 17th will be the first padded practice of training camp. Yeah, so uh, that'll be interesting to see how, how players respond to that kind of environment, you know, um, because, you know, I, I have a couple of, uh, uh, of college. Well, I have one college student left. Uh, one just graduated. It was a very emotional graduation ceremonies. Uh, oh, that's right. We didn't have graduation ceremony. <laughs> uh, and, and then, uh, yeah, we got I got one that's still a hog. Uh, she's going to be a senior. Uh, and then uh my uh the one who just graduated his girlfriend is is staying here with us as well and she's in graduate school so the other day she was taking she was taking some online classes where well, there was somebody talking in any way and she was doing something else and i and i said to her are you paying any attention to this and she goes no not this part not really and uh so i you know it is really easy on this online stuff just to drift off uh and so i'm uh i can imagine what it's going to be like for these players uh, when they're, when you're not in the room uh, and uh, and obviously you know on a, on a Zoom call you can you can see everybody which is really important uh, to keep everybody uh, making sure they're they're paying attention. But I it's going to show up pretty quick because again they're talking about things that they're going to have to do on the practice field once they hit it. 
Yeah. But they but they've been the entire off season has only been discussing it and talking about how to do it rather than actually executing it in front of everyone and the coaching staff. So that is um again there there's going to be a lot of frustration I think on on you know I I think some coaches are going to be saying how could you not know this? We've talked about it all off season. It's going to like well but we haven't been out here. We haven't done it and this is right. a different way than then the previous coaching staff, you know, wanted us to do things. And so uh, having a new staff, I think, is really going to be uh, apparent uh, in this training camp and, and really potentially early in the season as well. Yeah, this, I, I, I agree with you on that. I think that the players are going to have a hard time believing this is real. You know, uh, you know, I, I'm really supposed to be retaining all this. I have to be learning all this. I have to keep up with it when I'm just – I can't – punch the guy next to me and say, Hey, what's he talking about? What's this, this mean? Or when you're walking, when you're walking back from the meetings and you're, you know, you're going back and forth and you're sitting at your locker and you're talking to the guys next to you. I mean, I, you, you can still obviously have all these conversations with people, but it's not the same, you know? And uh, I, I just think this is going to be really difficult and, you know, and then you make a great point about bringing up a new, especially when you got a new coaching staff, uh, the kind of, to me, puts the Cowboys behind the eight ball a little bit here uh, because you're, you, you're really having to learn a lot of new things now. And, uh, and you don't, you don't really know these people, not only are you learning new things, but it's new people teaching them to you. Uh, so this will be, this will be very difficult. It'll be a very trying thing here. I, you know, I don't know. Um, have, have we talked about what we were, uh, we were projecting for the Cowboys as they play? Have we, have we made our Cowboys projections on a record? No. Yeah, Why don't we, we do did. that next week? We did next when the week? schedule was released, didn't it? Uh, did we? I don't know. I can't remember. I think I think I might have said I might have said. I'm just gonna put it this way. I might have said eleven and five. If I said eleven and five, I might have been. A you little, take it back now. <laughs> I might have been a little excitable when I said eleven and five. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Just uh, it'll be very interesting here. All right. One last thing on this. Uh. Uh. David, I'm gonna throw a big bomb. Yeah, because I there. got I got to go, man. Oh, okay, sure. Well, you just go ahead and go, and Dave and I will talk. Uh, is uh, we didn't we never talked about the fact that uh, uh, the comments from uh, Dak Prescott's brother Tad, uh, where he he made some comments about the hey uh, the Cowboys were never my favorite team anyway, and uh, and now uh, you know, and it's not like. And, and tragically, uh, Dak has lost a brother, and I, yes. and I think that Tad is the only brother he has left. We, we've seen video of, of the two of them fishing. It's not like they're not close. Uh, they're very close, and they, and they do a lot together. And for him to have had, had that reaction, I have to give that a little bit of credibility uh, that, uh, that, you know, maybe there's something to this. And, and I think that you wrote this, David – and I got to tell you, I was I was going to write something similar to what you wrote, but then Michael Gelkin wrote something, and I was influenced by that, that, oh, sure, that that, uh, that Dak will come back, and why wouldn't you want to be the Cowboys quarterback? I'm, I'm not so convinced. Uh, I think that he does want to be the Cowboys quarterback, and for obvious reasons. I think he likes it. It, it pays well, you know, off the field being the Cowboys quarterback. Do you think – are you convinced – that Dak Prescott will be the long-term quarterback for the Cowboys. No, yeah. I I I believe he will be, but 
this this alters the dynamic dramatically in my mind and and all you have to do is step back and say for the last 16 months both sides have had one goal to get Dak Prescott on a long-term contract to ensure that he remains with the Cowboys. That is something both sides have wanted for 16 months. They have not been able to achieve that shared goal in 16 months. And now it just ramps it up even more because of where he is in the free agent process, what it does for the cap purposes. Um, this just moves it into a different realm. And, and to me, if, if this would have been resolved with a long-term deal before July 15th, uh, that, that is what historically has happened in the past in these negotiations with the Cowboys. Uh, the fact this is not, um, I, I think both sides need to be very careful in, in what they say this year. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, um, I, I think I think there's just more potential here now for this relationship to dissolve than there ever was before. Yeah, I'm I'm with you 100 percent on that. I I I can't believe that that he wouldn't take some of this personally. I mean, we we you know uh, every other player has been signed. Yeah, absolutely. Every other key player has been signed. Yeah, and you're the quarterback, and I you know uh, there there's there's faults if we want to call it that on both sides on this thing no question uh but i do think that the cowboys have are, are more at fault in the in the dak prescott negotiations and i think that they're going to end up paying for that and uh they've they look they've been really lucky in their last two quarterbacks right they found one guy's a free no agent question. you know from eastern illinois and he turned out they had no idea he, he would be that quarterback and when they drafted dak prescott i don't think they had any idea he'd be that quarterback he was their third or fourth choice yeah, they actually, loved Wentz. They didn't have a chance to get him. They tried to move up in the first round to get another quarterback, and then so yeah, I mean he was he was in essence at most their third third option. Yeah, so you know, the, the, and that's what's so crazy to me about all these people who don't who think oh the Cowboys need to move on. You know, it's like it's like a job. As I've told my children this all the time, never quit a job until you have another one. You know, it's the same thing with quarterbacks. You never quit a quarterback until you have another one because yep. they are really hard to find. Uh, so I, I think that the, that the Cowboys are getting themselves in a position here. Uh, I, I do think that Dak – I don't know how good Dak's going to be. I don't know how much better he's going to be than he is right now. I think he's pretty good right now. I, I'd, I'd take what he is right now for the next six or seven years. That would be sure. good enough for me. You know, if, if, is he going to be – is he, is he going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback? Is he going to be as, as good as Aikman was? Is he going to be as good as Staubach was? Uh, you know, maybe not. Uh, but that's okay, you know. Uh, it, it's a little bit like when I first started writing a column, I had a lot of people reminding me I was not Blackie Sherrod. And, uh, and, and, and my response to that was, he's, he's the Babe Ruth of, of uh, columnists in this state. No, I'm not Blackie Sherrod. And, and I am not embarrassed to say that. Uh, and then that's the problem in this town is that you've had some of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the game that play here, and people want to compare the, all the, the, the ones now to, the, to that guy. It's like, that's not fair. You, you, you can't do that. You know, you're not always going to end up with a Hall of Famer as your quarterback. But if you end up with a really good one, you know, a guy who can win for you, maybe that's good enough. So, anyway, that's my diatribe. All right, Evan, did you have something else you wanted to say? 
No, I got, I got to go. I have two things. I have an interview I've got to do. And I've also, um, it was my mother that called while we were podcasting. So um, I'm going to have to call her back. And I'm not sure how that's going to go. Are you going to bring up the liver? No. <laughs> bring up the liver. I'm going to call your Did mom. Did she call because she knew on some level that you were saying things, casting aspersions on her cooking? She'll she's she listens to the podcast religiously. Yeah, I'm sure, and live too. The precast. Fact, I thought that's what your mom was up there in that corner. I thought that was Jose, but actually that was your mom up there. <laughs> all right, well that's going to do it for me. Y'all can all keep uh, talking about liver if you'd like to, but I'm gonna I'm gonna be done now. Sounds lovely. All right, see you, fellas. On, until next week. Bye. On the Ballsy Podcast. Oh, that was good. I like that, David. That was good. <laughs>